Word with Matt Cooper. Let's hear the late John Bruton on the day that he became Taoiseach, speaking in the Dáil after he got his seal of office 30 years ago, December 1994. I wish to thank this House and my colleagues for electing me, for nominating me as Taoiseach. It's a high office, but a humbling one. It's a high office because the holder is rightly held responsible for the good governance of this Republic. In the same way that I seek simplicity in the office of Taoiseach, I seek simplicity in government and national policy. Good government is a public service and it should be kept simple. This is a Republic. Public office is a privilege that must be paid for in hard work and long hours. I'm joined now by one of those ministers he appointed that day, Ivan Yates, good evening. And tell us, please, Ivan, what are your memories and assessment of the late John Bruton? Well, first of all, I've known him for for over 40 years, and there's so many memories. Uh, The most stressful memories were he took over from Alan Jukes. He sort of deposed Alan Jukes after a desperate presidential election. Uh, So Gareth stepped down in 87, 1990, Duke stepped down, and I was a, a Duke's loyalist. By the time we came to 1992, there were a number of heaves against him, uh, Jim Mitchell and Michael Noonan and people like that, and I was really one of his closest henchmen uh, with Nora Owen, uh, Michael Lowry, and others, and then quickly we were in government. So I was his finance opposition spokesperson and then a minister of agriculture. So I saw him in the most stressed of circumstances, uh, where, you know, he didn't know who to trust. The polls were desperate. And then I saw him in his greatest glory. He absolutely loved being Taoiseach. And I remember when the cabinet was formed, he said to me, Ivan, now, let's be clear about this. Because one of the circumstances, you'll recall this, was that Dick Spring walked out of government over the Beef Tribunal report and Albert Reynolds. And he said to me, whatever Democratic left or uh, Dick Spring wants, give it to him. And he says, jump, jump, jump as high as they say. And I said, why would we do that, John? He said, the better the government does, the better it'll be for Fine Gael, the more cohesive it was. And so I would say that there was a remarkable transformation from the almost ideologically driven, always an intellect, uh, John Bruton of the 80s, who was sort of bound by market principles, to a man who became Taoiseach, knew how to work a three-party coalition uh, and became a very pragmatic type of person uh, and and loved being Taoiseach. And uh, I always felt he got a bad rep in terms of John Unionist, uh, sort of a bit of a West Brit and all of that. And that was all part of an agenda, which I got. But he actually didn't defend himself against some of that stuff. He, 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 he you know, he had a, a painting, a portrait in his office as Taoiseach of, uh, Redmond, uh, the Redmondites, the parliamentary tradition. He, he, he was really against violence in Irish politics. Uh, so he was principled. And I also was very close to Richard. Richard is different, as you know, but uh, Richard and I soldiered together uh, right through. We went into the Dáil at the same time. I was at his 40th. And I went to uh, John Boyne to his house. It was a very private 70th birthday party for John. And then latterly, my, my, my latter memories. So when I was 
when I knew I was going to leave full-time broadcasting, I rang him in 2020 and said, John, um, can, I get, can I ask you some advice? Because I'm going to go from full-time work and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. Didn't tell him I was going to end up doing a podcast with Matt Cooper. But anyway, the point, the point about it was that he always, he was very wise counsel. And I remember, you know, he said, if every you have a day that say you're closer to retirement, he'd say, do one thing that day, just do one thing. And that will give you a sense of satisfaction. But in the latter, latter time, so I was minding my own business at Ballon Row Braces. And I would talk to John intermittently and Dan Egan, who was the Fine Gael press officer going back yonks ago and was director of Young Fine Gael, uh, said, would you ever give John a ring? He's not well. And the family are kind of keeping us quiet. And from June on, I did have contact with him, uh, but he wouldn't. I said, Can I, should we go up to Dunboyne for a pint or whatever? No. And he, some, some days he would have the energy to ring you. Uh, and and he, he just was not well at all lately. And they, they kind of kept it as a secret. They did indeed. Stay on the line, Ivan. I want to bring in Gary Murphy, Professor of Politics at the School of Law and Government in DCU, because let's concentrate maybe on his time as Taoiseach, and we will get back to his earlier political and post-Taoiseach career as well. But it strikes me that there were three things of great significance in that time. The setting of an economic course, which led to a lot of prosperity, particularly with the introduction of the corporation tax rate of 12.5%. An advancement of the priest process, work of which was then taken over by Bertie Hearn, for which he got enormous credit. And also on the social side, despite being very much a very conservative Catholic, his driving forward of the divorce agenda, which was won by referendum by the slimmest of margins in 1995. So where do you think John Bruton stands in relation to those achievements? Uh, very high, Matt, I would say. I, I've just been teaching about a divorce referendum a couple of hours ago to my first-year students, none of whom, of course, had heard of John John Bruton. Uh, but I was telling them how important he was as a force for um, uh, for good in uh, in modern Ireland and gave the example of the uh, divorce referendum. Obviously, happily married himself, he, he stated at the time that uh, not everybody was in the uh, fortunate position that uh, he and Finola were uh, and many others were and that we had to look uh, to other people and give... Um, you know, be compassionate. And uh, I, I think at heart he was probably a compassionate uh, conservative. I, I agree with, uh, with Ivan in that he, he clearly, I think during the 80s, looked probably somewhat enviously to Britain and to Margaret Thatcher's Conservative Party as the way forward economically. But by the time he had become uh, Taoiseach with uh, two you know, so-called left-wing parties, uh, Labour and Democratic left, uh, he became very much more of a uh, uh, of a pragmatist. I mean, he made coalition work I mean, Ivan would know better than anybody, but coalitions between Fine Gael and Labour hadn't really worked. The 82-87 government was a disaster, of which he was Minister for uh, Industry and Commerce. Earlier as Minister for Finance in the 81-82 government, I mean, they were forever at odds. But he made coalition with Dick Spring and Pruncheus uh, de Ross uh, work. And we look at coalition as normal now, but uh, I think he was the first one um, uh, to make it work. And it was that pragmatism that, uh, that Ivan uh, mentioned, which was... Uh, the key, and yes, certainly, I think he, I think the, the moniker of John Unionist in relation to the peace process was undeserved, 
Um, he clearly used to get up the backs of, of Sinn Féin and the like. Uh, he obviously, he, he, he was on record as saying that he thought the Easter Rising uh, was wrong. He was a, a Redmondite in the classic Irish parliamentary uh, party uh, tradition. He, he adored uh, John Redmond, I think. And, um, you know, and, and that, that is a very long tradition in, in Irish politics. And it was something that uh, he was very proud uh, to keep. And I, I think he, he clearly developed a good relationship with, uh, with John Major, and, um, you know, when the full history of the peace process is written, certainly Bertie O'Hearn will be, I think, rightly there at the at the top. But John Bruton should also get uh, uh, a significant honourable mention, Matt. OK, uh, let's just hear a little bit because about Prince Charles coming to visit Ireland in 1995 and a special state dinner, which I think John Bruton took a lot of flack for describing it as one of the happiest days of his life. Let's hear a little bit of what he said at the time your presence here, your courage, your innovation, and your initiative in coming here has done more in symbolic and psychological terms to sweep away the legacy of fear and suspicion that has lain between our two peoples than any other event in my lifetime. Because Ivan Yates, the, the criticism was loud at the time and has lived with him throughout the following decades. But yet, his welcome to Prince Charles is no different, for example, to the welcome that Michelle O'Neill as First Minister would have given Charles on the death of his mother when he travelled to Belfast and she went to the funeral, she went to his coronation. In a sense, he was welcoming Charles back then in the way that even Sinn Féin does now. Well, I, I think there was a little bit more to it because one of the big mentors in uh, Prince Charles's life was Lord Mountbatten, who was uh, blown up uh, in, a, in a bomb uh, off, off the West. And I, I think that was the first visit he'd had to Ireland since that incident. Uh, and, but look, the, the, the offence he was supposed to be committed that he was too gushing about the whole thing and it brought up for people being too deferential to the Brits and all that. But it didn't bother him all that kind of thing. It's like, you know, that I remember he was down in Cork and we were involved in different things and some local journalist said, I really want to talk to you about the peace process. And he said, not the fucking peace process again. And like, he would say that, like, you know, not thinking it would be good. But he actually was very unassuming. Two achievements, I think, that are not heralded, leaving aside the North-South thing. One was he was a complete Europhile and went on to be EU ambassador. Uh, yes, and we will get to that in a few minutes. Yes, and what's and the other thing? But he, he, he was a, the other thing I think he deserves huge credit for, in an earlier life, before he was Taoiseach, he was leader of the House, and he instigated the largest reform of the Dáil to set up our present-day committee structure. Uh, and he was absolutely passionate as a parliamentarian about the door and the parliament holding the, the executive to account. We're continuing our tribute to the late Taoiseach John Bruton, who died this morning with his former uh, government colleague, former Minister for Agriculture, Ivan Yates, and Gary Murphy, Professor of Politics from Dublin City University. Uh, Gary, remind us, please, before I play a little clip from the 1982 budget, about how he tried to put VAT on shoes and brought down the government. Yeah, so John Bruton, um, uh, he was first elected at the tender age of 22 in 1969, and at 34, 
uh, he was appointed Gareth Fitzgerald's Minister for Finance in the summer of 1981 uh, after uh, Fine Gael and Labour formed a uh, government. Um, that government lasted only until uh, January of uh, 82 and it fell down when it failed to get its, uh, its budget passed in the doll, the first in the history of uh, the state. The problem was um, the government was in retrenchment mode. Fianna Fáil had basically uh, been, uh, how shall I put it, uh, somewhat economical with the truth in relation to the uh, the budgetary uh, situation. It was much worse um, than uh, Bruton and Gareth Fitzgerald uh, had realised. Uh, it had to, like, basically uh, cut uh, cut costs. Um, so anyway, um, there were proposals to extend VAT to clothing uh, and footwear. This was too much for the uh, the independent socialist Jim Kemi, of whose vote the uh, the government relied upon. He said he wouldn't vote for the budget. A compromise proposal to exempt children's clothing and shoes uh, was then rejected by the Department of Finance. And unfortunately, John Bruton wasn't able to um, to overrule uh, his oh, official. Well, let's hear what he said about it at the time. I do remember preparing that budget, although inflation was running at about 14 or 15 percent. There was a 25 percent increase in old age pensions proposed in the budget which was a 10% real increase in old age pensions, probably the biggest increase in old age pensions in the history of the state. To pay for that, uh, the extension of the VAT-based. It's going to be a fairly tough budget, but I believe that when it's seen in its overall context, it will be seen to be both fair and necessary. Now... That was back in 1982 and John Bruton looking to put VAT on shoes. The numbers there are boggling, aren't they, when you consider what the inflation was at the time and the increases in social welfare requirements. Ivan Yates, so just you, of course, a Liberal Church of Ireland member, were in government with a Conservative Catholic. Did you feel his religion influenced his decision making? And I asked that in the context of what happened with divorce. Yeah, um, I, I think... I think the eighties has to be seen that the, the the kind of big star in the party in Vinegar was of course Garrett, and that you had a lot of cast of actors from from and, and Dukes when they got back into government in November ninety two he was taken out of finance he was seen as too abrasive for Labour and Alan Dukes who was seen as more te- te- technocratic uh, replaced him on on the question. And, and, of course, all of those years, those three elections together, got tied up with the SPUC, abortion, anti-abortion uh, referendum. And, like, Garrett, Garrett actually led the constitutional crusade. Bruton and Pat Cooney and maybe people like Oliver J. Flanagan were always part of a kind of rump at the party and say, well, that's just Garrett being Garrett. But the true blue FGers weren't like that. But I saw when it came, and Gary alluded to this, was the divorce referendum. He because one of the issues was uh, that people said, "Well, what will happen to the farm if 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 the if the son gets married and the first wife does a runner? Uh, what will happen to the land, and we'll all be left in our stock and feet?" So my job was to uh, uh, tell the farmers of Ireland that their life would, lives wouldn't end if divorce came in. And of course, you know, he was from a farming background. You know, John's father, Matt, uh, lived uh, much older than he did and was one of the really respected IFA figures, Dunboyne in County Meath, kind of that, almost that beef-finishing rancher-type farmer, and was depicted by his opponents uh, as such. But no, put it like this, he, very tight family. His son, Matthew, and three girls, very tight family. Whereas Richard actually 
was not uh, in any way. He was much more liberal. But I remember uh, uh, when it came to subsequent issues, you remember the referendum on travel and the right to information and all that under under Porrick Flynn. Uh, in, and when he was leading the party in opposition at that time, uh, he was against all of that. He was he was really against all of that. And uh, I, I'd say Fanula would be fairly religious as well. But I, I found that um, when, when he became Taoiseach, he, he, he thought it was his job to get things done. And uh, he, he actually made a big intervention at the end of that campaign, which actually, uh, you know, some people who are, you know, preaching to the converted, he actually preached to the unconverted and I think swayed them in a very tight vote. You mentioned how much he loved Ireland's role in the European Union and we have a couple of clips to play from that. Uh, the first one is from 11 years ago in which he discussed his fears for the future of the European Union. A little bit, I say this as a, as a European, I, I, and as somebody who's deeply committed to the European Union, which I regard as the, you know, the great piece of inventive statesmanship of the 20th century, which voluntarily bringing together 27 countries, which were previously, many of them, dictatorships and many of them at war with one another in recent living memory, they're all now working harmoniously or relatively harmoniously together in the European Union. My worry has to be that the next generation of people will simply take all that for granted and will revert to sort of playing a game of national advantage in Europe and forgetting that, you know, we've got to preserve the superstructure as well. We've got to preserve the union as well as pursuing our own individual states' interests. And one other piece on the European Union, this was from an interview I conducted with him in December 2015. He'd published a book called Faith and Politics, which is a collection of essays on politics, economics, history and religion. And in that interview, I asked him about the importance of the European Union again. This, of course, was the year before the Brexit vote. The European Union is a good thing for Europe and we're part of Europe. And because Britain, if it were to leave the European Union, would be making a profound mistake in terms of what's good for Britain and what's good for Europe. And I don't think we should abet them in the mistake that they may make. But why would it be a mistake? Even if Britain leaves the European Union, it's heading to be, if it stayed in the European Union, the biggest, strongest single economy within the European Union, despite not being part of the euro. Well... I think that we must put this in context. The European Union was created, and previous Conservative leaders like Edward Heath understood this. The European Union was created to build a structure of peace in Europe uh, by making the countries of Europe, the nations of Europe, so dependent on one another, mutually dependent, that they could never afford physically or materially to go to war with one another ever again. Gary Murphy, uh, how much of an architect of Ireland's relationship with the EU was he? Uh, quite significant, I think, Matt. And we can clearly see in those clips that he was ahead of his uh, of his time in predicting the disaster that uh, Brexit would be for Britain. And in in later years, I mean, Ivan eloquently told us about about his illness, uh, but he kept going until the end with uh, with Bertie Hearn. Um, they spoke spoke at the House of Lords. Uh, about uh, the difficulties for Ireland in the, in the light of, uh, of Brexit. But um, remember, from as, far, from as far back as his first election, he was involved in the original uh, referendum to join the EC way back in 1972 when he was a 
um, a mere uh, a mere backbencher of, of, in his early twenties uh, for Fine Gael, and he was a, a passionate, uh, committed uh, European, and he and he, he he had it right as far as I can uh, say, Matt, because. Uh, he knew the importance of nation states, but he also knew the importance of those nation states bringing um, a sort of an imperfect union uh, closer uh, together. And, you know, he is right. The EEC, as it was, was created um, around the Franco sort of German rapprochement to get rid of the uh, the weapons of coal and steel, the weapons of uh, of war. And I think he instinctively uh, understood that. Okay. And uh, Fine Gael, sorry, Matt, just has a very pro-European tradition and he... Uh, he epitomised it, I think. Ivan, we will have an opportunity later in the week when we sit down to record our podcast to talk in more detail. But now briefly sum up how we should remember John Bruton, please. Oh, well, how I will remember him, first of all. You will have all the historical assessments. I will remember him as a loyal friend, uh, the most uh, inimitable laugh you ever had, would eat with a napkin tucked into his uh, shirt at the top and under his neck and, and just so unreconstructed uh, man of integrity. Ivan Yates, thank you very much for being with us and Gary Murphy from DCU. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.